the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial. Some days I talk Facebook. Some days I talk unemployment numbers. Some days I talk financial planning some days we talk strategy. Today I'm going to do probably a little bit of it all. I'm actually pretty excited. In the second hour today, I'm going to be speaking with Josiah Sloan, who is a not a celebrity chef, but he owns a restaurant that I think is the greatest restaurant in all of the Bay Area. And I am a food snob. With that said, we're going to talk about some trends in, uh, some trends in, in food. Because let's face it. You eat every day. You pay for food that you eat every day. There is an investment there. When Coca-Cola goes out and makes a relationship with Green Mountain Coffee, and Green Mountain Coffee makes curd coffee machines, the single pod coffee machines, when all of this kind of comes together, you quickly learn, like, Coca-Cola is really not a food company anymore. They're a distributor. And Green Mountain is a play on hot beverages and cold beverages because they have both the cold beverage soda stream ripoff thing, as well as the uh, single cup coffee. And again, food snob that I am. I once drank a $60 cup of coffee, and the coffee beans came out of a monkey's butt. I refer to it as lemur butt coffee, and it was the best cup of coffee I ever had. Could I invest in lemur butt coffee? If they were to go publicly traded, I would. Um, I eat at sounds of a probably two times a year, maybe two times every 18 months, and it's the best meal of my life. I hope we all can say that out loud, that we have something that we refer to as the best meal of our life. Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Good morning. Where is your best meal? I just, you know, when I moved to California, almost most of the restaurants I go to are good food compared to the East Coast. Uh, but I do like a couple restaurants where I live. Um, I like uh, Boconova in Jack London. Okay. Good place to eat. What's yeah. Bocanova all about? Kind of like a formal gathering. It's like a cocktail area, and then it's got some really nice outdoor seating and indoor dining. Really jo- nice wines. Very I, good wine selection. I jokingly tell this story a lot, that I know someone who's under 30. I met her a couple of years ago and got to get into her apartment, and she had no frozen food. She had nothing in her refrigerator. It was just all booze, basically, all the time. Mmm, beer. I'm like, what's that all about? And she just doesn't like frozen food. And I don't either. 
So there is a trend in food, for sure, whether it be Whole Foods, which is an awesome place to shop, although it leaves you poor, or whether it be uh, great restaurants and or whether it be, you know, something organic like Chipotle. Have you ever eaten a Chipotle Mexican? I have. You should. Yeah. I think that's something you You ask me every show, and I'd say, no, I haven't. Have you ever eaten a Panera? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we have one on the island. Kind of same idea. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Yeah. It's convenient. I'm with you. So, uh, mortgage market. Uh, the stock market kind of got a little fritzy at the beginning and middle part of January. And anytime that happens, when people are jumping out of stocks, they tend to jump into bonds. And anytime people jump into bonds, it seems to be good for you because it's a flight to safety. They lower the 10 year treasury, and that seems to lower the mortgage bond angle. Simple as that, or is there more to it? What do you it has been days? lately. Uh, last year it wasn't as so much with the Fed being as transparent as they are right now. We are back to normal. Um, as a matter of fact, I was just reading an article about uh, um, how they, they can gauge investors now. When I mean investors, like treasury investors, they're saying now if the stock market goes up after the jobs report that we get today, then they say the majority will, will sell off, so that could raise interest rates as well. So, yeah, it's back to normal. Okay. What would a a well-qualified person get if they're looking for a 30-year, 15-year mortgage these days? Well, uh, Freddie Mac came out with the survey on Wednesday saying that the 30-year fixed, conforming, that here in the Bay Area, that's 417000 would get uh, 4.32%. Okay. Is that a pretty good rate in your opinion? Um, yeah. I mean, historically, the rates in uh, historically rates are 6.7% on average. Um, and 4.32% is only about... 0.8% off of its low, so it's less than one point off of its lowest ever rate. So, yeah, it's a great rate. First house I ever bought, and I remember this very clearly, I had a first and second mortgage. You know what's funny? I had no clue what the second mortgage even meant. And then someone's like, well, that's your down payment on the first mortgage. I'm like, what? And that's kind of funny, and I remember the first mortgage was a better rate than the second. I'm like, I'm trying to figure this all out. The second, rate, the second mortgage was was higher, and it, you know my second, it was almost 9%. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine today paying almost 9%? Like, no one, well, criminals and hoodlums probably well, there, pay about 9%. There are people paying 9% on private loans. Really? Yeah. For a mortgage? Yeah. Have you seen, how many private loans come to your office? Uh, I get a call every month. Okay. Why would someone use a private loan? Um, let's say they are an investor, and all they have is some rental income, but it's spotty, uh, and let's say they need a property. More commonly, you're going to find an investor using a private money loan, buying a property with a large down payment, but the property doesn't qualify for a conventional loan because it's in shambles. And they and they they team up with a, an investor who's going to offer you know eight to thirteen, fourteen percent, depending on where they're getting the money. And and they can buy this property, hold it for six months after, after they fix it up, and then refi get their cash back. And um, you know after the property's fixed up, so there are uses for Private money loans. What's hard money loan? Same thing. Okay. Is And soft money would be government money? Soft <laughs> money. Is that kind of where we're at? Um, yeah. It, it's, yeah. We're really seeing a separation of all the classes right now. But, you know, hard money loans... Wait, wait, really, wait, 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 wait. you got to explain that. What do you mean separation of all the classes? Um, what I mean, not separation of the classes, I mean separation of lenders, uh, okay. sources of, of money. Um Private money came back last year, and the year you know halfway through 2012, um, and because there were a lot of properties that were in damage, and, and people investors wanted to use this type of money, 
uh, FHA split off. They're doing their own thing. Conventional is doing their own thing. We have qualified mortgages now. So you either, you're either fitting in one product or another is what I'm basically saying. So Tony Mendez is a friend of mine. I think that comes across on the radio. And why is he a friend of mine? Because we know each other. We like each other. We've known each other and liked each other for 20-plus years. Um, I actually asked him to move out to California because when I got to California, I saw that I, I don't think it's a mission of mine, but I want to help people with personal finance. And one of the biggest areas to help people with personal finance is financial planning, relationship with Chad Burton, like the guy. One area that you can actually help people is, is mortgages and their homes and understanding, you know, this huge liability that people take on for many, many, many years and trying to figure it out, you know, um, and, I had to go through that process of trying to figure it out, and for me, that process of figuring it out was, what is a second? Why am I paying nine percent? What I'm putting a down payment on a first payment, and you know, luckily I didn't screwed in the process, but I certainly could have. So Tony does a show here on KDOW um, Tuesdays, six p.m. Tuesdays. Is it the Real Estate Report? Real Estate Report. So. I'm so happy that you're finally doing what I begged you to do and referred to it as the report instead of the report. I copy from the best. You know who I, 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 and this is a small, small to that. Do you know who is my favorite broadcaster? Um, Conan. In my 20s, it was Howard, Howard Stern. Was, oh, Howard Stern. Howard Stern. I think what he did for broadcasting, he turned it from the zoo, whoop, 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 buy any mortgage you can, whoop, 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 whoop. He turned it into, like, I've got a wife problem, I've got money problems, I've got boss problems, I hate people that I work with. Um, so I, I kind of brought his broadcasting angle to money and financial planning. So and I'm so happy that you're actually stealing from Stephen Colbert with the Col- with the real estate report. more real estate report Tuesday nights. I think um, stealing from the best is not a bad thing when you're talking about broadcasting. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Stick with us. We've got more show coming up. Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Tony, com. How do frogs kill themselves? How do they kill themselves, Rob? They commit suicide. They commit suicide. You know, that's actually one of my favorite movies of all time, the Muppet movie. Story about a frog who goes west to find his Hollywood dream. Now, I went slightly west and north. I went to San Francisco instead of L.A. Do you know why I never went to um, L.A.? Not originally, no. They won't have me. Um, There's no chance I could do a national show based on financial planning information where I tell people, like, annuities are really bad ideas. Going into your, going with an insurance agent who says, hey, this is guaranteed, this is guaranteed return on investment, and it's going to be great for you, is just as bad as going into a bank where you see this guy in a twenty-year-old, twenty-year-old guy in a suit, and he can see it's his first suit. It's that men's warehouse suit where he gets like seven suits for the price of one, and you can just say, like, don't take it to the laundromat, don't take it, 
like wear it twice and throw it away because otherwise it's going to fall apart. It's just as bad as getting advice there. That's why um, the Muppet movie and it, it, it rhymed with me. It, it, it had it synced with me as a child because um, all your dreams do good stuff. Um, that's one of the, the things that I like about investing is my goal is to get people to age sixty. Um, optimistically, you know, 60-60-ish with enough money that they can, you know, live to live the day they die. Later in this hour, um, I'm going to be talking with Josiah Sloan from Salt Sovi in Saratoga. Um, my goal is to get people to, like, pay a lot of money to go to a great meal um, and enjoy California. Like, we've got wine country. You know what's um, slightly interesting about wine country, right, is the drought this year. Yep. And uh, I was recently in Santa Rosa and... I was in line for something. I don't know. I think it was a butt-picking contest or something like that. We were all in line for something. And um, Were you filling your jug of beer? Maybe I was feeling... Is it a jug of beer? What, no, it's the... Um, oh, no. The, the growler. growler. The growler. What a great term. Um, so, okay, I'm in line filling my, uh, filling my growler at um, another organic, wonderful place, Russian River Brewery. Um, and I, I don't even know it's organic, but it's fresh beer. There's nothing. Honestly, if you were to ask me, give up sex or give up fresh beer? Goodbye, sex. <laughs> right? Whoa. <laughs> That's a tough one. Well, I've done all that. I've, you know, I, I did some crazy stuff in the last 20 years that I'm proud of. So I know you're saying, did you say are you proud of? You're not proud of. I'm proud of. I was in the Olympics. You know, they say that the... and 30% true. Thank you. It is 130%. That was a fact check. The, fact check the drought is actually going to produce um, stronger flavored wines or grapes. Yeah, but you know, California's gone through two droughts, two me- what are called um, mega droughts. What's a mega drought? Think about what a mega shark is, okay? And then put it to a, a drought. In the, last five, in the last 700 years, California's gone through two mega droughts. One of them lasted 150 years, 180 years. The other one was 250 years. Whereas drought conditions for 250 years, like you wouldn't have wanted to be drinking California Pinots in 1660. Just throwing it out there. You know, the best part about that is the one person can fact check this, probably won't. And everyone else is like, God damn, we went 250 years without water? It's true. So... Probably wouldn't want to have been a Puritan in California drinking pedos. Anyway, um, it's going to be interesting because I, I think it'll, um, if nothing else, the media will grab hold of that story and they'll they'll extrapolate it into restaurants and into food costs and into, like, right, for instance, Barber Boxer, a hater. Nancy Pelosi, a hater. Jerry Brown, I, I like him, but I hate what he's doing. They're, they're basically rerouting water from the Sacramento Delta so that fish can swim. I know you're saying, yeah, we need fish. Okay, yes, we need fish. But farmers need water. And you're talking about a $250 million project plus. And that's a lot of money. Um, and I, I would say let nature be nature. But that's stupid. Um, because too many people live in California to say that kind of statement. So what's the investment in water? I don't know. At this point in time, I don't know. There's a couple ETFs that are water-based. Um, for instance, there's one called FOE. PHO, it's U.S. based. There's some international water, and you know it's it's kind of interesting. Is people kill each other in other countries for water? Okay, you want to hear something interesting? So I was at Sansovie not too long ago, 
and the chef comes out and he talks about how only in America is a fresh chicken more expensive than chicken nuggets. In every other country, a fresh chicken is cheaper than chicken nuggets. So, like, if you go to Aruba, Jamaica, <laughs> help me here, help me here, Ooh, uh, Bermuda, Bahamas, if you go to Aruba, Jamaica, Bermuda, Bahamas, and you want to be with a sexy mama, and you order chicken nuggets, it's like eight bucks. But here, it's like nothing. Like, you can get a whole thing of uh, large McDonald's fries for less than a potato. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, where does this whole story go? Water. Oh, water. Um, so the water shortage, is that played into your investment, into real estate? Are people saying, I want to own a house with a well? No. <laughs> See, we take it for granted, right? We do. Okay, okay, wait. We do. This gives, goes back to my whole, I was standing in line with a growler trying to get it filled. And two people in Santa Rosa, they were like going, how's your well doing? Because, like, I, I don't know. Santa Rosa is filled with snobs who live on wells. How's your well doing? Okay, okay. My well's doing good. So I'm down 20%. And then they start bitching about the wineries taking all the water. Um, and then the guy comes back and he goes, mm, they, they drill farther down. So I, I guess that's the, the issue. Just drill farther down in the drought won't really be a problem, right? you have anything you want to add? No, not to the wine story. I like good wines. Have you been to Napa? I have. Can you spell Napa? Napa. <laughs> I didn't say, can you say Napa? I said, can you spell Napa? Napa. You know that's funny? I'm going to argue with you all day. You know Matt Damon? He was in the um, Team America movie, the mm-hmm. South Park movie. And he, all he would say is, Matt Damon. So the only thing he said was his own name. And what's fantastic about it is Matt Damon had no clue why they did that to him. Why they basically made him mentally retarded. And finally he saw an interview. He said, I thought it was funny, but he finally saw an interview where the puppet came back and it wasn't quite looking right. So they had to change the script on the fly. He was going to be a well-spoken, well-thought-out character, but it didn't quite look right. So all they had him do was say, Matt Damon! Which I find to be a very creative, smart thinker. I, th- I think Matt Parker and Trey Stone, geniuses, or is Trey, Matt Stone and Trey Parker? Whatever it is. Now, why are you playing this song, producer number eight? I don't get it. Anyhow, and anyway, um, you're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Having a big crab fest this weekend. No, 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 no. My ex is having a big crab fest this weekend. Oof. She was so dirty, her herpes has crabs. No, her crabs have herpes. Grr. AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I want to get you to become a millionaire. 
I know that sounds like a crazy concept. I must feel like, am I one of those people from that horrible, horrible, horrible uh, 1960s? One million dollars. Or a million's not that much. A million's not that much money. And that's the sad part is I want to get you to a million. And I even know it's not that much money. A million dollars will pay you forty dollars to $60,000 a year till the day you die. Social Security is not going to pay you enough to live off of, unless you can live off $20,000. And basically, after you pay taxes, you're talking about ten dollars to $12,000. And after you pay for medical care, you're talking about 8000 to 10000 It's not much money a year. Again, I'm not saying I've had dinners that much, but it feels like that. Um, Social Security is set up to take roughly 20% of your, replace 20% of your income. It's not set up to, to, to replace all of your income. And, What's sad, Tony, and I see this every day, every year, is that people put off and people put off and people put off, loved ones that I know put off, um, and it's tragic. So you, on the other hand, you're a squirrel. You save more money than, than most people, and I'm impressed by that. And, and you do it in a very um, understated kind of way. Hey, look, it's the handsome Josiah Sloan. So um, with that said, um, you know, the number one thing starts with the budget. So you've got a spouse, right? Yep. And um, how often does she go out and, and get, pick up expensive things? Not that often. Okay. I mean, we, we really have. We've set short-term and long-term goals. You ever fight with her about it? Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt that we, we argue. We don't fight. Um, we compromise. We, we would, life be, would life be better if she did everything you asked? Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> That's not the question. <laughs> Yeah, so sticking on a budget is important. So you represent the one area that it's of great peril to me. It's taking out a loan for $600,000 in the Bay right, Area. Everybody that wants to buy a $600,000 house, write down 600000 and look at it for a while. And then a lot write, of money. And then write down $3,000 a month yeah. times 12 times 30. You're paying over a million dollars to own that house over yeah. a period of time. There's, I, there's no doubt, Rob. And that people, freaks out a lot of people. And it freaks out. But yet they walk into it as like, hey, real estate's the best thing I ever did. I, I, I got in an argument with a realtor on air Okay. Uh, about this exact conversation. It's like, how many people do you think that are out there of your clients, of that traffic that we're seeing right now? Because there's heavy traffic. It may feel like heavy traffic because there's just such few properties right now, and there's only so many realtors that are busy. But how many of them are are not qualified to buy a house? Yeah. Well, not qualified. They probably qualified to buy a house, but who who should? How many people are actually being able to fund their retirement? Who? How many people think that I, a house is the right way to go? Is the smart way to go as opposed to renting and saving money? Yeah, rents are going up, but you still have to remember that we're getting to the point where prices and rates are going to go up so high that the rent versus Buying calculation is going to flip. San Jose is going to be the first place. It's kind of interesting that you bring that up because how many people can afford? So I live on a great street in a great city in a great neighborhood. Put it all together, great school district. I'm almost at the point where I celebrate how great it is just to keep that perception of great. I don't think you have a problem with your perception. Wait, wait, so that everyone's values stay high? Like, if anyone dare goes bankrupt, come see me. I'll leave you some money. Like. Oh. I do not want a house to cave because that would cave the value of my home. And, again, I'm joking, and that's the point of the conversation is, like, we have um, a street party every year, a block party. And I actually hired a band last year to play the block party in large part because this, this isn't life great? Like, isn't this the greatest street in the greatest city in America? Um, and then people fall in love with it. And, like, realtors send me letters saying, 
if you want to sell your home, I could sell it for 20% above asking. I'm getting mail on a regular basis of like how speculative it is. And I love that. So, you know there was a crack house three blocks away from me? I think I heard about that. Yeah. And I love that story, except for the sad, sad, sad part is like they had 100 cats. Ooh. So, but um, police came in and shut it down. I'm like, that's real estate yeah. I want to buy. If you can buy a crack house in a great neighborhood, literally it's the best thing you can do. <laughs> you don't know who I am. So, um, say my name. Um, a little Breaking Bad, breaking into that, selling crystal meth. But, yeah, if you can buy a crack house in San Carlos and Saratoga, ooh, it's a home run. It's a home run, Los Gatos. Yeah. Well, Los going back to the traffic, uh, unfortunately, there's 30, 40 other people looking at for that same kind yeah, of property. And that brought us up a conversation with you and I. I, I see this just almost obnoxiously. The mom and dad, or not the mom and dad. Yeah, the mom and dad. The um, husband and wife real estate teams. I'm just like, high school education, good-looking guy who goes to gym a lot. And then you see another couple, and then you see a team. I'm like, there's not enough homes for them to sell in the Bay Area. My city has 16 homes for sale right now. I wish, I got, those, I, wish I got those numbers for you. I couldn't get them in time. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot more difficult to find that than I thought, uh, you know, basically, realtors per city. I, realtors you, per city. There's, wait, wait, there's like, many. Yeah, realtors per city. Let's just say it, realtors in California. It's basically a high school education that potentially can get you six figures. Maybe not. But potentially can. Um, it's crazy. And um, what are they? What are they going to say about real estate in California? Always goes up. Always goes up. What are they going to say? It's great. It's great. Like, hey, look at the sunshine. Hey, and and what, yeah, what, what you're going to you are going to find a lot of people that need to get a transaction to keep their business going, and they're going to say stuff like that. Now, my income's good. My salary's good. My wealth is good. And I got lucky to get my house. Which comes back to there's too many realtors versus how many homes are being sold. But I got lucky because I had a very good realtor. She gets a majority of business on the peninsula because she's really, really good. And that, again, brings up to watch out for the desperate realtors who don't know what they're doing, who basically overpromise, underdeliver. Well, it's more of a sales pitch. Yeah. Because they have to, you have to remember, guy, everybody. That wants to buy a house. It's still a sales job, and they're going to sell, 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 sell you. That's the difference between what I do and what a lot of realtors do. Is they're going to sell the pitch where I can't do that. I legally can't do that because I have to steer you to. I can't steer you to a product that makes me more money or or does you wrong. We've been overregulated. The realtors haven't, so they're going to continue to try to sell the pitch. Um, but you know, I think still there's that momentum. We have right now. There's multiple amount of buyers. There's there's few inventory. We're not going to stall, contrary to what I said today. Can we go as far as to say, can hell have a special place for husband and wife, realtor teams? Like, isn't that the? It, it's this almost is your, this is your realtor. On <laughs> I know, I'm probably making people pretty angry right now. Yeah. But isn't it? Okay, a couple things that turn me off in real estate: the husband and wife real estate team. Because come on. One of the two should go get a real job instead of tag-teaming me. Two, um, fake boobs. Three, Mercedes. If a realtor has any of those three things, I'm out. I want old. I want ugly. I want a hunchback realtor because that tells me they know that market really, really well. I want someone who's hideously ugly and, and disfigured and probably has a, like a, a burnt face. 
Because that tells me they know how to get a transaction. If they're making money at age 50 and they're disfigured, that's a positive thing for me. You're likely never moving from your house. (laughs) Probably not. Nor am I going to hang out with any realtor husband wife teams this week. Christmas presents from Julie anymore. I love Julie. Julie's my realtor, and um, she got me. Did, you know, I know. I know yeah, the whole story. She got me into my place over Easter with a woman who has had Alzheimer's disease. Her kids wanted to sell the house because they now live in in Texas, and they wanted to have Easter with their mom before they put her in a home. No one bid on my home. Had someone bid on my home, I would have paid two two hundred thousand dollars more just to get it. Um, because she figured out the whole Easter angle, the whole, and like, it was funny because to bid on the house, yeah. ultimately what I did was I took pictures of fake children and like, yeah, that's right. You, we, we talked about doing the, uh, the motivation letter, the motivation letter, yeah. the motivation letter's genius. So it's like, mm-hmm. you lived in your home with your children for 25 years. I want to live in my, in your home with children and raise them for 25 years. And that, that actually helps because yep. people become attached to their homes and they want to sell to someone who's similar to them. So I'm not saying put your children in a wheelchair, but consider it if it's going to get you a good good restaurant, right? Or a good home. What was that noise? That was me running out of the studio. <laughs> Disassociation. Do whatever you can to get the home. There's so many realtors and so few homes. Um, to get in the neighborhood that you want to get into, um, do whatever you can. And it, it, seriously, I, I think it actually is pretty good advice to buy the crack house in a great neighborhood. It's, it's buy the smallest house in the greatest street. And that's what we learned today from a very special Rob Black and Your Money. Can we do that one more time? And now you know. <laughs> you remember that sound? Yeah. That was the more you know. The more you know. Oh, okay. Um, that goes back to my childhood. I love my childhood. Like when, um, what was the uh, the girl, um, Blossom, on a very special Blossom, Blossom loses her virginity. The more you know. Best part of my childhood was the very special episodes where we learned, like, um, uh, who, uh, the, the, the open house people or the full house people. Full house. Jesse. Uncle Jesse's got a drinking problem. A very special open house. Plus, best part of my childhood. Alf, do you remember Alf? Alf was great. Alf, um, it wasn't a drinking episode, but Alf had a very special episode. I'm gonna have to look that one up. It might have been drugs. With it, yeah, it might have been drugs. Just so you know, I think Alf had a. Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Okay. Something with Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. If you need funding for that crack house, or if you need funding for that house, good goodness, you can probably get a loan done, cash, cash only, right? You can do delayed financing, buy the house, fix it up, and you get your money back. Rob Black and your money, you can find them at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Black and your money on AM twelve twenty KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Always keep your heart locked. Don't let your mind read 
couple things that I'm passionate about. Great food. I'm going to speak with Josiah Sloan. About 15 minutes. A chef. Off another thing I'm passionate about. Alternative music, new music, fresh music. That was the band Haim. A sister band. Um, the bass player of this band, she makes funny faces. She makes bass faces. You know what a bass face is, Tony? You've seen local music to the point yeah. where like the bass player just gets so into it. What was his name? Um, yeah, no one's going to know because I was on the yeah, East Coast. Man. Yeah. Um, but she's fun because she's got her own Twitter following now for her face. Her name's Esther. Who names her kid Esther? That's a tough name to grow up with. Esther Ham. E-S-T-E. And I kind of like it. It's unique. Anyhow, and anyway, um, <laughs> that's so funny. Look at my search page. Ham funny face. So there she is. Would you agree she makes funny faces? It's a pretty funny face. Face face is what they refer to it. And she's got the greatest quote ever associated with Andrew Garfield. And I can't talk about it because it's dirty. It's really dirty. So they sound a little bit like the Eagles. So the 80s music is coming back at this point in time. Um, just throwing it out there for you. So Realtor, um, I probably pissed some people off because I have some angles that are tied towards real estate. Like you don't want to work with husband-wife teams because it just to me seems cheesy. And there's probably some great husband-wife teams who are going to rebuke me and like send hate email and such. I don't, I don't like working with husband and wife teams ever. Like, isn't the idea of working with your wife just unattractive to you? It is and it isn't. I know like, you have I've, to, asked, I know. I've asked my wife, to say, you know, quit your job, come work for me. Yeah. And she says no. Isn't she more interesting in the fact that she isn't in your life all day long? This is radio. Don't shake your head. I'm trying to come up with the right answer in case she is listening. I, I think that... Um, She's more interesting. You know, she is. I like her. I think she has a very interesting job. She does. So, and I think that it 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 just really is her per, per personality. It fits her personality perfectly. So I wouldn't want her to do anything else. Yet sometimes she comes home and says she doesn't want to do it. So it worked for me. So today is the first Friday of the month, and unemployment ticked a little bit lower. And that's good news for you. It's good news for me. It's good news for Sansevi. As unemployment ticks lower, more people have jobs. More people have jobs. They're like, um, they get stressed. They get freaked out. They're, they want to go on vacation. They go on vacation. They make babies. They make babies. The wife says, you know what? We've got to move out of this condo. We've got to get a house. So the jobs report is critically important. It, now that we have a house, like we've got to spark our love again. Let's go to a great restaurant. Like Jobs report, and I talked to an economist this week, um, and I said, can I, boil, can I ask you one question? Can I ask, and, you know, Dr. Jeff Rosen, he was playing with me a little bit, and he was like, what? What do you want to ask? And I said, is there only one economic piece of data that I need to pay attention to? He was like, um, I said, jobs. If, if jobs report the first Friday of the month, if that's good, can I just invest? Can I go on vacation? Can I plan for retirement? Can I do everything that I need to do based on the jobs number? And he said, pretty much. So jobs will take care of cars. People want new trucks. A friend of mine got a new truck, showed it to me yesterday. I was like, I like that truck. Like, good for you. He's gainfully employed. But jobs will take care of everything. Jobs will push real estate higher. And that makes your job a little bit, and your job more profitable as well as easier. Mm 
Um, we just saw San Jose uh, gain about $47,000 jobs. 47,000 jobs. And that's going to push up rents. It's going to push up home prices. Yeah. And we're going to see that around the Bay Area consistently. That was kind of interesting. That's one of the things that um, I talked to you about recently is um, tech workers in San Francisco. Are they pushing up real estate prices? Are they pushing up rental prices? Yes, they are. And there's that little study from a college student that basically if you're five minutes within walking distance to a bus station in San Francisco, mm-hmm. i.e. a Google bus or a Facebook bus, um, it, it's up 5.7% versus rents. Up rents are increasing 43% faster than rents outside that half-mile radius. Which is fascinating. So next hour, I'm going to be speaking with Josiah Sloan from Tonsa V. He's a, I refer to him as a celebrity chef. He's just a chef, chef slash owner. And he has a restaurant in Saratoga, which they don't really need the tech jobs. They have the tech job executives. They have the hockey players living there. They've, it's a really nice part of the world to live in just outside of Los Gatos. Yeah, and at the same time, we went to a place that was heavy tech, yeah. uh, which was the fault line. So we went to the fault line, we did our little yeah, yeah, meet yeah. and greet, and they were all, it was all about having the tech jobs around them yep. and having the big meetings and their, you know, their yearly events and, and so forth. And we did like the fault line, didn't we? We did. Yeah, yeah it was good a good food. place. Good food, great good location, food. great atmosphere. Fresh good beer. Fresh beer. Fresh, yeah, fresh beer. Yeah. So that's what I keep coming back to. You know, it's it's starting to get weird because like um, people are like, do you want me to open a fresh bottle of wine? I'm like, I'll take a fresh beer. There's a new brewery in um, Alameda. What is it called? It's called Faction. Okay. So just thought I'd mention that. It's a good beer. I went you there know, yesterday. I'm gonna have on down the road the guys from 21st Century Amendment. Twenty, yeah. Uh, 21st Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> 21st Century. Saying, 21st Century Fox Amendment um, Brewery. I promise. Um, but he's a, a unique kind of guy. He's, his name's Nico. Um, and I used to work right next to the ballpark, and I used to go into that 21st Amendment all the time. And it's just fresh food, fresh beer, good combination. Yep. All about enjoying life. Anything you want to say about um, mortgages, lending, anything, uh, refis, what's happening right now? Um, you know, just be careful of the news. Uh, right now, every other article says rates are as low as they've ever been in the last six to seven months. They've come back up a little bit. You have to remember Freddie Mac Weekly Survey is what everybody all the news agencies put uh, advertise. Um, it's come back up. You know, watch the stock market. Uh, it's going to trend more often when the stock market goes up. Rates are going to go up. Um, buying opportunities are going to be fewer and fewer throughout the remainder of the year, and hope yeah. you'll probably trend upwards throughout the year. Okay. But, um, yeah, just be diligent with buying their house. Okay. Find a good realtor. And it takes time. It does. And it t- sometimes takes luck. It's tough. You know, I, I hate to be a buyer right now because it is tough. Thanks very much. It's Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Money KDOW. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. 
Welcome in. Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Today's one of those and more kind of angles. Joining me today is chef, owner of saint And it's kind of funny because I'm clearly putting an accent on it that I shouldn't. You said Saint-Sauvé. I don't know. It's ancient Catalonian, so we can potato-potato, I guess. Um, I'm from ancient Catalonia, so it's actually salsa. Oh, well, okay. Just, you know, and it is potato as well. Good, I'm, good I'm, to know. I'm the one with all the knowledge. <laughs> so it's Josiah Sloan, right? That's me. Chef, owner? That's me. How do you become a chef? What's the title? Is, how do you get a title of chef? Well, I mean, you start off as a cook. Okay. Um, so, you know, I worked my way up through, through kitchens working for some good chefs and uh, kind of did it like that. You didn't go to the San Francisco Culinary School of Art? No, I went to I went to UCLA and studied electrical engineering. Really? Yeah. And did you ever apply that electrical engineering degree? Um, yeah, I've, I've been actually, I've, I've done some consulting in tech related to food and some software stuff uh, over the last few years. So tell us a little bit about the restaurant that you run and that you chef for. Yeah, so we're up, we're up in uh, the foot, you know, in Saratoga, which is the foothills of the Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, one of the most highly underrated wine-growing regions in California. But, uh, uh, we, you know, we're a fine-dining California French restaurant, about 13 tables in our main dining room, and we have a little lounge in the back, um, which serves a more casual menu. Um, you know, we're kind of three-course, four-course uh, tasting menu type of place. With that said, you said 13 tables. How do you stay in business with 13 tables? Because don't you need the volume, volume, volume? No, volume, volume, volume is good, and I mean it's tough uh, on the scale we are to uh, stay viable. I mean I've been there 11 years, so um, you know there's definitely easier ways to make a living. Um, you know, having a restaurant that has two or three or four times as many tables, um, you know, a lot of your fixed expenses kind of remain the same. So. Okay, so a couple things. Um, I got to know you a couple years ago. Um, my very best friend on the planet was like, um, took me to Saratoga and she's like, oh yeah, one time I ran into Steve Jobs at that restaurant over there, which is kitty quarter to yours. Um, oh, and there's one time I met blah, blah, blah here. Like Saratoga is a jewel. Um, as far as the Bay Area goes, it's probably the most desirable city for celebrities and for wealth. People like Steve Jobs would, would seek out restaurants like yours because it's, Thirteen tables. Exactly. Well, I, I think one of the interesting things to um, consider about Saratoga is, is how, you know, we're kind of right off Highway 85 and DMs or Highway 85 and uh, Saratoga Avenue. But prior, to, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area, and prior to 1995 or 1996, 85 ended at 280. So to get to Saratoga, you either had to drive to Los Gatos and then drive over Highway 9. Or you had to get off at um, 280 and De and drive through, you know, eight miles of stoplights to get to Saratoga. So Saratoga is one of those um, towns that's sort of one of the last sort of small towns of, of the Bay Area, um, or at least of Silicon Valley, you know. For those of us who live in the Bay Area, it is a vacation. It's lovely. It's, it's a very European kind of feel to it. And I'm not going to say all the restaurants are good because I don't know that to be true, but since of a... Um, one of the best on the planet. And, again, I tip my hat to you because for me to rave and gush, it, it's, it's few and far between. Well, That's 130% true. So when I came to the East oh, when I came to the West Coast from the East Coast, I'm a New Yorker, Washingtonian kind of guy and money kind of guy. Um, 
I tried to explain restaurant investing in restaurants, and it never worked well because I would say, oh, yeah, there's a company called P.F. Chang's, and they're growing very fast, and Wall Street's in love with the growth. And people in California would look at me like, that's crazy. And I was like, there's a company called Cheesecake Factory. The portions are super huge. They've got 200 things on their menu, and people would look like, they, they look at me like I'm crazy because the rest of the country is fascinated with chain restaurants, but the Bay Area rewards local restaurants. Um, and I think the Bay Area is on to something. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think if you if you look at, um, you know, the Bay Area is sort of the birthplace of, um, you know, in, in New York also, but, you know, of, you know, great cuisine in America. Um, you know, Europeans have been, you know, doing it for decades and centuries. And, uh, you know, really uh, – Kind of in the you know 60s and 70s and 80s, uh, American cuisine came to prominence, and uh, the Bay Area in particular had a large, uh, large part of that. When I was in New York, um, I, I described the difference between New York and the Bay Area, and, and even LA has got a great restaurant scene on some levels. Um, but New York chefs, they can go into the dumpster and pull stuff out and put it together, and it's a great meal. California's got a, uh, an advantage. We've got fresh food, we've got fresh fruit, we've got fresh fish. We've got everything, you know, easily accessible. Um, does that make being a restaurateur a little bit um, – do you have an advantage because of all the freshness and organic stuff here? Well, absolutely. I mean, we uh, – my chef de cuisine and myself, uh, you know, we hit we hit the farmer's market every week. We deal directly with the growers, um, you know, even outside of, of just going to the farmer's market. Um, you know, there's great purveyors in California that – or in, in the Bay Area that deal with those same farmers. Um, so, yeah, the access to product is, is fantastic. I worked in the Caribbean for a year and a half, and, uh, you know, that was the same sort of situation. I had been working in L.A. prior to that. And in L.A., the chefs I was working for, it was very technique-driven, kind of old school, so probably in the 90s, um, that was kind of what was going on in Los Angeles. It wasn't – Los Angeles was not a great food city in the, in those days. But, you know, everything came off the Cisco truck or whatever. Um, Cisco, great investment. Now, like, here's where you and I are different. Cisco owns the food delivery business yeah. across America. They are the monopoly. They own 85% of the deliveries. Um, to cafeterias, not to restaurants, but to cafeterias, to prisons, to cafeterias, to low-end restaurants, to mid-end restaurants – um, Cisco, S-Y-S-C-O, um, they basically bought all their competition. And that's it's almost scary as an investment goes. It's, it's a pretty amazing company. I've uh, looked into it. Um, the, the, the interesting thing about Cisco is they deliver everything from things that go into um, prisons to everything that, uh, you know, even to some high-end product. But, um, you know, and if you're in the middle of the country or the middle, you know, where there's not access to all these smaller purveyors, it's a great thing. With that said, I'm not a, asking you to agree with me on Cisco or anything like that. Actually, I like the other Cisco, not Cisco Systems with John Chambers and Networking Equipment, but the guy who sang the, the thong song. Oh, yes. Do you remember thong, 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 song? Yeah, I was, I, was working, I was working in Jamaica then. I remember going up to Miami, and that was playing everywhere. <laughs> That's embarrassing. I'm just saying. It's, I know. It's embarrassing for our nation that that ever became a hit song and that you actually had to expose your ears to that. Have you heard anything from him since? Um, you know, I think he's an R&B singer, and I think he actually probably does pretty good uh, off of that. So um, if you play the R&B clubs, you probably do pretty well. I'm speaking with Josiah Sloan. You can find his restaurant in Saratoga at com. It's S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I. What does Sovi 
So it's two things. Uh, in ancient Catalonian, the rough translation is sweet taste, but it's actually the title of a, a medieval cookbook um, that was recently translated into English uh, as an academic work. Really interesting book. It's interesting. Um, when I went to your restaurant, I was, you know, um, one of the times I came, I came with Dan Rysanowski from the San Jose Sharks. Great guy. Great guy. And you actually have a great story about him that we'll save for the next break. Um, it involves, I think, a pig in his backyard. And we'll leave it at that and see if the story lives up to the expectation. You can find uh, com. It's in Saratoga. The website's the easiest way to do this, S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I.com. We're going to be talking about agriculture. We're going to be talking about sustainability, local food, the trend. People under 35 want fresh. What's that mean from an investment angle? What's that mean from a restaurant angle? Take a break. We'll be right back. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm speaking with Josiah Sloan, chef, owner, since of a restaurant Saratoga. It's eight letters, S-E-N-T, S-O-V-I. It's one of the greatest meals you'll have in your life. It's one of the things that I like about the Bay Area, um, and I chose to come to the Bay Area, and one of the reasons I chose it was restaurants. And you and I were talking during one of the breaks, Josiah, about like um, the importance of restaurants and communities. It kind of revitalizes them, um, as does school districts, as does the weather. But people sometimes will say, I want to live in that city because they've got great restaurants, they've got a great European feel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge quality of life um, issue. I mean, I spent, uh, spent time, you know, I lived uh, about three months in New Orleans, but I wasn't in New Orleans proper. And, you know, one of my biggest complaints where I was is there was no good restaurants. I mean, there was good Cajun food and good po'boys, but beyond that, you know, there's no real compelling, interesting restaurants that I liked. I think restaurants can tell you a lot about a community. Um, I live in a city that used to be very blue-collar, and now it's very white-collar. And part of that renaissance has been with restaurants. Uh, We have a restaurant that's just pastrami only. All they do is pastrami. And I'm like, how do they stay in business? And there's, it's unique enough that people will support it, almost unconditionally. Yeah, and I know, I know the restaurant of which you speak. They make good pastrami. Isn't it strange to you that like, a restaurant can survive off that one angle? Yeah, I mean, but if, but if you look back, I mean, my dad's from Montreal, okay. and you know, you go to Montreal, you know, smoke meat um, is is a big thing there, and it's sort of a, their version of pastrami. I think it's better than pastrami. Once you've had smoke meat, it's it's you know, it's game over. But you know, there's a place there, Schwartz's. Uh, it's a it's a it's legend, and uh, you go there. They open. I think eight or nine in the morning, they close at midnight. And if you go during, you know, within an hour of any major meal time, there's a line down the, down the block. If you come with three people, they're sitting you at three different tables because those are the seats that are available. And uh, they serve smoked meat. You can get it as a stacked up on a platter. You can get it uh, as a sandwich. Um, 
I love that idea. And, uh, and they have about three other things on the menu, and apparently about 20 years ago they started serving French fries, and there was some of the purists were up in arms. You know, how could you start serving French fries here? So I'm Generation X, and I think the big difference between my generation and the baby boomers who are above me is they grew up on Budweiser, Bud Light, um, Coors. They grew up on American beer and a drinking American way, red, white, and blue. And then I got introduced to craft beer, and I kind of fell in love with it, which brings me to the conversation of I met someone who's younger than me, and all she has in her fr- freezer is, you know, alcohol. I was like, where's your frozen food? Where's your fruits and vegetables? Where, like, and she buys everything fresh, which is one of the reasons I reached out to you recently. And I said, let's talk about this trend of younger people liking fresh food. Um, it's being reflected in Chipotle Mexican Grill, 52-week high on the stock. It's up 500-plus percent in the last three years. Um, are you seeing any of that kind of data that I'm throwing out there that younger people now just demand better food? Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the interesting things is in in a lot of cases they're willing to spend a higher proportion of their disposable income on good food. You want to hear crazy? 7-Eleven now um, does good wine. They stock good wine because they want that person who's 25 years old to stop in. They know they're going to go for the better um, wine versus the 7.99 wine. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Well, I mean, the you know, the wine business in California is huge, and we're right in the middle of it. Let's talk a little bit about what you're saying. Um, you're in Saratoga, and it's the foothills of Santa Cruz Mountains. You said that's good wine country. How is that possibly good wine country? And is, Isn't is it everywhere good wine country now? Because now you do wine in Virginia. Like, areas that weren't good wine country now suddenly are good wine country. With global warming, there may be some new, new good wine country. Um, so I think Santa Cruz Mountains, the wine appellation, is sort of vast. It spans from um, San Mateo all the way down to... Uh, basically Coralitos, which is Watsonville. Um, so it's a pretty vast appellation. Um, Napa's a little bit easier to understand because it's sort of one valley, whereas the Santa Cruz Mountains appellation spans this big, you know, ridge of mountains. But, you know, within the appellation, you have some world-class wines. You have the Ridge Montebello Vineyard. You have the Catherine Kennedy Vineyard. Um, some great Pinot uh, Noir producers over on the coast side. I think one thing... Uh, sort of to the detriment. Then in Saratoga, a lot of local producers, Cooper, Garrett, and, and whatever, who have been growing wine for a long time. Um, it's a vast appellation, so there's a lot of different microclimates. There's a lot of different varietals being grown. There's some good uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, kind of cooler climate uh, vineyards, and there's some uh, warmer spots where Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, things like that uh, grow well. So Napa is really easy to, to as a whole to market Napa because it's it's warm climate for the most part. They grow a lot of cab. It's really easy for people to understand. Uh, Santa Cruz Mountains a little bit more nuanced, a little bit uh, more microclimates, different varietals being grown. This is one of the reasons I dig you as a person, Josiah Sloan, San Sofi restaurant, um, is you talk. You have no shortage of words. Uh, came into your restaurant once, and uh, you kind of like little... You went from table to table, but you spend 20 to 30 minutes at a table sometimes talking about where the wine is from, how you picked it, what it's all about, how fresh it is. You told me a story about a goat, and I've retold this story numerous times. You're like, yeah, I got a goat up in Portland, and I need to figure out what to do with it. Because as a chef, you use every single piece of that goat, and it's a fresh goat, and you're like telling me, yeah, fresh goats are coming back, and 
it's fascinating to a non-foodie. I mean, I, I love food, but you know, you have the knowledge of that. Talk a little bit. Give me a little fresh goat angle. Yeah, I mean, goat's an interesting thing. So I worked in, I told you earlier, I worked in the Caribbean. I worked in Jamaica for a year and a half. And uh, goat is kind of a national goat eating, goat cooking is sort of a national pastime there. So I really got into cooking goat because uh, the first thing that happened when I went to Jamaica was I wanted to have lamb, but they don't have lamb in Jamaica. And you get some sort of poor quality imported lamb, but there's goats all over the place. So I started working with goats, and I just loved it, butchered them down. Uh, but if you get a goat, you get a goat, whole goat. And it starts with goat steak. Well, it, I mean, Jamaica, it ends with goat stew. I mean, Jamaicans take the whole goat and basically stew it. But I started messing around with you know rack of goat and stuff like that. The owners of the uh, hotel that I was working for thought I was totally insane. But you are kind of totally insane. In a, you're a smart guy. I could just looking at you, I could see the processes going through your head. Um, you know, I had a goat. I had to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, and so so basically you need to break it down and figure out, you know, what cuts you can use for what. And, yeah, it starts with goat chops and ends with goat sausage, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, and whatever cuisine you, uh, you know, choose to apply to it, that's, that's up to you. But How many restaurants would you say in the Bay Area are doing what you're doing? Do, going after sustainability, going after quality organic, using everything that they can? I think a lot of them are, especially on the you know middle to higher end. Okay. It costs money to do that. You have to be able to charge for it. And things sometimes aren't cheap, but you get what you pay for, especially in the world of food. Absolutely. You can find Josiah at com. It's S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I.com. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Dan Rusinowski pig story. We're going to talk Gene Burns. We're going to talk millennials. And if you want to drop me a question, rob at robblack.com. talking with him. Um, I've been in his restaurant numerous times, and he comes out and he talks food. And things that come out of his mouth, I find to be nuggets of gold. Um, some of them I've reused. Um, during the break, we were just talking about yeah, restaurants, and I told him there's a restaurant, and I'm not going to say the name, in Half Moon Bay, where they literally go to Costco, get burgers, unwrap them, microwave them, and serve them. And I was like, does that ring true to you? And he's like, yeah. And he, you know, he says a couple things, and he says, Food's not cooked at most restaurants. It's assembled. No, it's totally true. I went to a... a well, wait, wait, I want you to say that phrase, because that is a beautiful phrase, and I want to capture it again. Yeah, at most, at most chain restaurants, there's very little cooking going on. It's more reheating and assembly. Same with fast food. What's that mean? It means the food you're eating was manufactured at a plant somewhere in New Jersey or somewhere halfway across the country, developed by a team of food scientists and uh, product development people. 
one of the interesting angles on that, and Brandon, um, give me a little bit of that audio that I asked you to pull a little bit earlier. Let's see. I had you watch this commercial, and I don't think you've seen this. Yeah, I watched it when you come with me. And it's, it's spooky and it's haunting. And it's using something from our childhood, a song that we know and love from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. You know, the Chocolate Factory, and you're talking about Food Factory. And Chipotle put this together, um, basically saying, you know, your food is manufactured. And they're showing cows basically being manufactured in burgers. It's a haunting video. And it's probably... Would you say food's haunting? It's food haunting. I mean, I think food connects with you on the most uh, deepest levels, you know. All of, it engages all of your senses. So, yeah, food can definitely be haunting. I'm a money guy, so sometimes I don't get the emotional ties. Um, like, I once went on a Forbes show, a Fox show on Forbes, called Forbes on Fox, and the old anchor, he's, he's an editor for Forbes, Jesse Eisenberg or Jesse somebody, he asked me, like, what's your favorite restaurant? Or what's your, no, he said, give me a stock pick. And I said, P.F. Chang's. Um, and he yelled at me. He's like, there's no shortage of Chinese restaurants in America. And I was like, this isn't a Chinese restaurant. It's P.F. stands for Paul Fleming, great steakhouse in New York. Um, it's manufactured American Chinese. And, like, I'm almost meeting you halfway in this conversation because as a, it was a great investment. They would open up restaurants across America that were American enough that you didn't have to eat a pig's foot to feel that you were getting Chinese and Chinese opulence. and it, But it's all fake. It, none of it's Chinese food. Right. I mean, you got to understand there's a difference between uh, Chinese food and Chinese-American food. So, I li- you know, I live down in the South Bay, so we have Cupertino and Milpitas. And, uh, you know, I've spent many, many a meal going to Chinese restaurants there where you would not recognize any of the food you know, from the beef and broccoli, sweet and sour pork uh, of your youth or or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, so I love that food, this regional Chinese food, learning, you know, all the different regions and styles of food. And you're talking about a country of, what, 1.2 billion people or whatever. You're going to find a huge diversity of food. But some, sometimes, to remind me of my childhood, I just want to go eat some beef and broccoli <laughs> and some chow mein, you know. I do something that's hilarious. Every time I order beef and broccoli, I say beef and broccoli, no broccoli. And it always gets them. It, it always sets up for the confusing five-minute conversation of what? So you just want beef. I just want beef. <laughs> it's, it's, and you get the joke, I think. Um, so let's do the Dan Rusinowski story. Uh, yeah, I was over at his house. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Dan Rusinowski, San Jose broadcaster, San Jose Sharks, 98.5. Voice of the, the Sharks. San Jose Sharks. Right, and he also does auto racing and things. But anyway. And a comes, great guy as well. Great guy, great wife, comes into your restaurant. He does. And now it's a San Jose Sharks story. Well, I almost set his tree on fire barbecuing. He, he said, hey, you want to come over? I think we were actually grilling lamb racks. He said pork, but I think it was lamb racks. And, you know, he had invited me over and drinking wine, grilling. He had... And and his barbecue was under a tree, and I I don't think he saw this. He might not know about this story. but uh, So, yeah, I I opened up the barbecue, and I don't barbecue a lot, but um, I opened up the barbecue, and all of a sudden there's eight feet of flame shooting out the top of it, and uh, there was a tree right above it, and I'm using my towel to bat the tree to make sure it doesn't start on fire. So you almost burned down Dan Rosanowski's house. Uh, Could have happened. When you were there, who who, who were the guests? Uh, when he throws a party, who does he invite? 
You know, it, it was just small. It was, it was okay. him, his wife, my wife, uh, and I think one of his neighbors. Okay, because I just imagined him hanging out with Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe and all the sharks. And yeah, but that's what he does for a living. Okay. I mean, I don't know. He probably, possibly he does, but that time it was just one of his neighbors. And It's interesting that I got to know him because um, I do a money show, and for a couple of years I would have him come on the show and talk about what's happening with sharks because I love hockey, I love food. I love hockey too. Right? And you want to share your passions, and that's kind of our conversation here, Josiah, um, chef at uh, Sansevé. How did you get – how were you able to quit what you were doing to be a chef? Because one of my fantasies is to, like, open a bed and breakfast and just do scrambled eggs. Like, I'll do the bed and breakfast, I'll do the business, I'll have the, someone else do – all the cooking, but I want to do the, the breakfast. I want to do the eggs, per se. Are you going to raise chickens also? I would like that. Um, you know, when you do with money, you burn out. And I've done everything I've needed to do. I've hit every milestone. But a bed and breakfast would be fun. Or maybe a brewery. Yeah. Um, they're, they're rising in popularity. Um, what, what do you see in that movement? Every major, like the Russian River, people talk about taking their growlers there and getting them refilled. Um Every major brewery that I see open in the Bay Area seems to be wildly supported. People like fresh beer. Yeah, so we, I mean, in terms of up until about, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, we um, were definitely a wine-oriented restaurant. Sure. But um, about three, four years ago, you know, we were serving, I guess, good beer like Anchor Steam and just sort of normal beers that people would ask for if people were. We, I also served Red Stripe because, you know, I worked in Jamaica, Jamaica so... Just mainly, I probably ended up consuming two-thirds of it. But um, about, about three, four years ago, we decided we were going to upgrade our beer selection. So we're, all our beers are European, but they're kind of higher-end European, Belgian, French, German uh, beers. And we sell probably three or four times more beer now than we did a few years ago. Um, hugely popular. Um, and people are willing to – I think part of the difference is people are willing to pay for good beer now. I mean, some of the good beer is not inexpensive. It's a $10 – $12, $8 glass of beer. And if people are used to, you know, 5 or $6 bottle of beer at a bar, it's, it's a whole different whole different thing. So an angle that I keep coming back to again and again is that the trend. Um, I had a co-host on television named Cheryl Cassani where she would go to Whole Foods every single day, and she would get a lunch every single day at Whole Foods, and most of her meals were Whole Foods. And they're known for organic and fresh and locally sourced. Um, that's not going away, is it? No, I mean, I think I think that trend is definitely here to stay. I don't think it's a trend. I think it's just people are becoming aware of uh, where their food comes from, how it's produced. And, um, you know, I have sort of mixed feelings about Whole Foods. I actually, you know, I go grab a sandwich at Whole Foods and stuff. Um, and I, I, think, I think it's great. It's a great alternative. Um, you know, you have to start wondering when you get to the scale um, that they are, um, the difference between, you know, there's organic and there's organic. Um, there's a big commercial organic, and then there's, you know, the guys, uh, you know, where, where the farming techniques they're using are very similar to large commercial agriculture, but they're using organic pesticides, and they're, you know, supposedly organic. And then there's the small guys that uh, are composting and encouraging a rich uh rich sort of ecosystem within their soil, and that's a different sort of organic. And, uh, you know, I think to understand the difference in the quality, you have to go talk to some of these guys. You have to experience this produce, and it's kind of the next step beyond organic. But because of lobbying and government regulation, the sort of genre of organic has become pretty broad. Walmart has run into some problems 
selling quote unquote organic foods that what is there a standard for organic do we need a standard for organic there are government standards for organic and they were lobbied heavily by the processed food industry or by big agriculture big agriculture let's talk a little about the companies um are you for it are you against it does it have its place uh should we no no i think big agriculture i mean you need to feed the nation one way or another and you know sort of the sad um or the reality of the situation is we have a you know nation of 300 uh plus million people and uh, we need to be able to produce enough food to feed everyone i think the idea of everybody just you know returning to a small family farm and living out in the countryside that's just not going to happen so uh i think there are more small and medium sized farms that are uh figuring out niches that they can fill you know sort of specialty products and and they're doing very well as a result because they're never going to be able to compete head to head on a you know big potato grower who's you know just cultivating russet potatoes by you know thousands and thousands of acres at a time one of the things you brought up again during commercial you give me some jewels during commercial you're like european refrigerators are half the size as american refrigerators that's a fact would we be better off if we went with smaller refrigerators in your mind, absolutely, because I think it would create, uh, in I think it would create demand for people to you know purchase smaller amounts of food more often and be more concerned with the quality of what they're buying. Where would you shop if you were a shopping man for your own food as a bachelor? Farmers market. Farmers market. Yeah. Local farmers market that comes to town every Saturday, something like that. Yeah. Can you get meat at a farmer's market? Absolutely. That shows you how ignorant I am. Isn't that fantastic? When I'm, like, that stupid? Well, you're not stupid. Like, I think of a farmer's market, like, big turkey leg. (laughs) That can't be good for you, right? Probably not. Speaking with Josiah Sloan, one more break coming up. Stick with us. You can find him at sintsovi.com. That's S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I in Saratoga. to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Little Lords bringing us back from break. This is a fantasy day for me because I get to talk food and you can clearly see that I'm a wannabe. I'm sitting across from Chef Josiah Sloan. You can find him at Sintsovi, S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I. I highly recommend it. I don't recommend it on Valentine's Day. I don't recommend it on Christmas. I recommend it no New Year's. You find a nice slow Wednesday night when you can go for a nice long meal and uh, enjoy the hell out of it, because um, I certainly have. Um, you brought up a concept again during the commercial, and I'm hating you for this, um, CSA boxes. What's a CSA box, and why should I care? Well, so it's something you would uh, subscribe to either from a specific farm or from a group of farms or some other organization. And, uh, you know, you you get a box of vegetables every week. Some of them include meats and other things uh, from some of the farms, you know, eggs, cheese, whatever, um, dairy. But, uh, you know, instead of going to the farmer's market, uh, they pack it up for you and you either pick it up at a drop-off point or they deliver it to your doorstep, depending on which one you, which one you subscribe to. There's a lot of them out how do you, there. How do you find them? 
the Googles and the Internet. Okay, CSA boxes. Um, cooking tip for me. Um, one of the best tips I ever got in my life was use fresh um, herbs, use fresh spices. Um, do you agree with that statement, disagree with that statement? Absolutely. I mean, herbs and spices are great. I'm more of a spice guy than an herb guy. Um, a lot of chefs are into herbs. I like herbs. I use We use herbs. We grow herbs at the restaurant. Um, I love spices. It's kind of like, you know, it just adds another layer of complexity to your food. I work with a lot of spices. We're going to come back to this, but did you know, and um, one of the investments out there is McCormick. Um, they basically dominate the spice market delivery system in the United States. Um, back in the 1950s, America, 1940s, 50s, we had like four spices in our cabinet. And then in the 70s, we had like 20 spices. Now today, the average American has about 60 to 80 spices in their kitchen. Kind of crazy. Like, um, I don't know what that tells us, but it tells us something. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, there's now access to a lot of blended spices. I mean, we make all our own spice blends, but, you know, every time I go to the grocery store, they have, you know, six different sorts of curry and, like, all kinds of other, you know, blended spices. So I suspect that that's a, a big part of the market. Do you realize that you are fascinating? You said the phrase, I'm more of a spice guy than an Arab guy. Like, no one says that stuff. That's true. So I dig it. Um, how do you make your own spices? Like, I can't even imagine the process. It sounds time-consuming. Well, I mean, no, I mean, so part of it is, sor- is sourcing the spices. Uh, I have a few different vendors I use, one of which is a company out of San Francisco called uh, La Sanctuaire. It's owned by some, um, the owner or the owners are, they're Indonesian, and their uh, family back in Indonesia owns a pepper plantation and grows some other spices. So some of the spices that they carry are uh, farm direct, and some of them they source uh, elsewhere. But, um, you know, making spice blends that we can use in the restaurant. There's a lot of, you know, toasting and grinding and weighing and measuring. You know, we use a, get a good digital scale if you plan on blending a lot of spices, you know. Good good tip, good tip. And the other tip, you know, for grinding spices, you can use a coffee grinder. It works fine. Uh, or if you're, you know, if you're making larger quantities or more serious into it, uh, for your KitchenAid stand mixer, there's something called a grain mill. And it's great for grinding spices. It's supposed to be for grinding grains to make flour. And you can tell the difference between packaged spices versus fresh spices. Absolutely. I mean, and freshness is an issue with spices. Uh, you know, we vacuum pack what we're not using, for instance. Very cool, very cool. We talked a little GMO during the commercial break. What is GMO? Why do we care? Uh, we're talking about genetically modified organisms. So, um, you know, a Basically, you know, big agriculture, they want to maximize their yields. Uh, you know, if you're planting a 1,000 acres of corn, the more corn you can get out of that, the, you know, more profitable it is. So a lot of these, um, you know, GMO crops have been developed to increase yields. And, uh, you know, as a put push forward uh, within the regulatory structure uh, of America to make them, uh, you know, more prevalent in our food food supply and you know my background is in science and think uh definitely you know there's some concerns about how does it affect us you're you know splicing dna and thing and eating it um compared to historically uh the way you would make crops grow better in certain areas or whatever is just through selective breeding um pollination that's sort of a natural way to um modify a crop rather than going to the DNA level and splicing DNA. Sometimes on the show, again, I, I use you a lot during the show, uh, talking about some of the, you know, he gets to know you, he's, he's out there, but 
Um, I talk about McDonald's, and I'll say things like, in this day and age, it's almost um, child abuse to take your kid to McDonald's. Like, if you're under 35 and you take your kid to McDonald's, other moms look at you like, you did what? What? Yeah, so, I mean, I have a 16-month-old, and my, you know, my wife and I have talked about this. You know, my plan, I haven't eaten fast food in probably seven or eight years. Um, but, you know, I'm sort of a pragmatist. I'm sure at some point my son will eat McDonald's because one of his friends will be having a birthday party and going to McDonald's. So I'm not going to forbid him from eating it. But what I want to do is teach him the difference between, you know, good, healthy, freshly cooked food versus McDonald's. And hopefully his choice will be that he wants to eat this good tasting food rather than McDonald's. Well, I'm counting on that because I invest in things like Chipotle Mexican Grill, which they're doing this fresh, local, organic angle. And I don't know if you know this, but they're now spinning that business model off of Mexican, organic, fresh, local, uh, non, uh, what, GMO. non-GMO and you know, no crazy things in the animals. They're now doing that with a Chinese restaurant in, um, in Washington, D.C. and in, in L.A. So the Chinese fresh is coming. Um, they're also doing it with pizza. There's a big pizza chain thing going where it's freshly made in front of you. Um, pretty interesting trend. Absolutely. I think, you know, when you get to that scale, you got to just, you know, I think it's good. So about 10, 15 seconds. Anything you want to plug about Sensivy? Yeah, www.sensivy.com. Come visit us. What's the best time and best uh, day to get in? Yeah, we're open for dinner only, so just, uh, you know, you can go to our website, make a reservation, and come on down. Good stuff. Thanks very much. Josiah Sloan? ChefSenseOV.com. Eat great food. This is great food. Expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. A division of Salem Communications on the NASDAQ at SALM. For CNBC Business. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.